Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. And have we got a treat for you today? It's uh, the fantastic David Davis. Thank you for joining us, David. Really looking forward to this chat, my friend. Truly my pleasure, Simon. Thanks so much for the invitation, man. I really appreciate it. Good to see you again. Good to see you too. So, you know, you've got this great podcast. I've been on it. You're online. And now I just feel really honoured to... Uh, for you to for you to come on, um, you're you're a, such a, a well known and just such an uh, an intelligent, wise voice. I find in the world oh, man, thanks. Uh, of adoptees, you know, um, yeah. and that that conversation that we had, it, it, your wisdom really, it really shone through for me. You know, thank you. Uh, and I um, I got to tell you, Simon, I learn everything from talking to other adoptees like i i couldn't do any of this if i hadn't had these 160 plus conversations that's part of what it is some of it's natural empathy but some of it is what i learned from speaking with others yeah so could you introduce yourself to the audience in case anybody hasn't heard heard you of course so my name is damon davis i am the host and producer of the who am i really podcast It's a show where adoptees are invited on to tell their true adoption stories of uh, living through adoption and their attempts at reunion with their biological families. So I started this show in 2017. I'm in season nine. I'm about to wrap for the holiday season and uh, take a break before we go into 2022. I've got 168, 166 shows of adoptees and people in the triad and all kinds of unbelievable stories. I I frequently say they're uh, stories of amazing adoptions and awful reunions and awful adoptions and amazing reunions and everything in between. You know, you start to throw in people's culture, race, religion, geography, and, um, you know, a myriad of other things I haven't even named here. And everybody's adoption and reunion story is drastically different. So uh, I feel extremely privileged that adoptees trust me with helping them to tell their story. And I feel really honored to be part of the adoptee community where there are so many folks who are taking healing from hearing the stories of others. It's just an amazing honor for me to be able to do this work. And, and, I'm, and I hope to continue to do it for a very long time. Yeah. Good on you, pal. Thanks, um, man. How does, how does he- hearing others' stories help us heal? You know, I think it helps us heal in a variety of ways. First, I was just telling this story to someone recently, the idea that adoptees are, you we're not easily known and identified, right? If I saw you on the street, I wouldn't know you were adopted. If I, if I wanted to walk out on the street and look for an adopted person, you have to ask everybody you see, right? If you want to walk out on the street and look for a black guy, He's right there. It's very easy to identify certain things, right? And so I say that to say, I believe that adoptees frequently feel very alone until we find the community. And then we realize how, just how many of us there really are. And it's in that loneliness or that sort of lack of understanding of how many of us that there are and how varied our stories are and how similar they are how similar our lived experiences are um, that when the stories come out, it provides some healing to me, right? You suddenly feel, oh, I didn't realize other people felt this way. 
oh, I didn't realize I had other people I could talk to about some of this stuff that I've experienced. Oh, I didn't realize how much better my adoption was than someone else's. I didn't realize how awful my adoption was as compared, <clears throat> pardon me, to someone else. And I didn't realize similarly how awful or amazing my reunion was as compared to others. And then again, I like to say, you know, you could, <clears throat> pardon me, you could turn the dial on any element of a person's adoption story and you'll get a different, a different person, a different outcome, right? You take, you know, a young African-American male like myself who grew up in a homogenous African-American family in a, you know, very nice planned suburb of Washington, D.C., and you move me to a small town in the Midwest with two white parents in a predominantly white community, and Damon Davis turns out to be a completely different person than the guy who grew up in Columbia, Maryland. Do you see what I mean? So I think helping the stories to come out allows people to feel less alone in their own story, but also I think it helps people to start to take ownership of their own story, right? As you hear someone else speak about their adoption, you realize, man, I, I kind of haven't really talked about mine very much. And certainly not in the whole version, the long story, the end to end, right? We'll sometimes tell the cocktail version of the story or the elevator version of the story, the cocktail party version, right? The short version, I was adopted here, I was born there, I was blah, 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 and it's over, right? But, but having someone sit and chat with another adoptee who understands how their beginning might have felt to them, how their transition into perhaps adolescence or through college or examining their own sort of, you know, um, sexual capability to produce another child. And therefore, what does that mean in terms of me not knowing enough about myself before I produce this other person in the world? or my feelings about whether I ever got along with my adoptive parents, whether I should feel, say, loyalty to my adoptive parents and not search for my biological family, or whether I have always felt the drive to find these other people. All of that stuff, hearing someone describe those elements of their own story can be very healing because it, it helps you to not feel like you're the only one who's living or has lived this. And I think that that um, is uplifting for a lot of folks. Yeah. There's Hanish complexity there, right? Yeah. Yeah. The complexity is surreal, you know? Do you think the complexity gets more complex? I mean, <laughs> like, it, it's because that's how it seems to me um, that... Uh, you know, the drama gets more intense. Um, I, yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I think it depends, Simon. I think some of it depends on the content and context of the story. And it also depends on the person and how that person deals with, copes with, approaches their story, their situation, right? So you can add complexity to a reunion story. For example, I've had a couple of adoptees on the show say, 
I found my biological family. And, you know, I think I was just coming in too hot. I had 157 questions and I just threw them all at them. And they were like, whoa. And I went from being in direct contact with this person to feeling like they had put up a, a, you know, a straight arm and were holding me at a distance. And, 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 and so that to me is indicative of an individual's approach, adding complexity to their situation versus I'll give myself as an example. One of the things that I tried to do in approaching reunion was recognize the wonderful things that had happened for me in my life already. And that if I never, ever, ever found my biological family, I was going to be okay. I'm a good guy. I had a good upbringing. I've got great family and friends. I don't actually need to find these other people. I would very much like to. And if it happens, that would be amazing. But if it didn't, and I told myself when I wrote this introductory letter to my biological mother, I dropped it in the mail. I literally smacked my hands and I said, that's it. I'm not going to think about this anymore. I didn't obsess over this for the last 36 years at the time I dropped the letter in the mail. I'm not going to start obsessing over this now. That's, that was my approach. And so that's what I'm saying about the complexity. Sometimes it is on the adoptee and how they approach things. Sometimes it is on the situation, right? That person was a secret. And now you have waded into some very deep water of navigating, you know, 36 years of secrecy, for example, and trying to get people to suddenly write the ship and turn it in a different direction that goes from secrecy to openness and acknowledgement of this person, this human that is walking on earth that is suddenly here. That, that is challenging. And, and so that is another example of just the sheer complexity that we sometimes face. And, and you and I could go on and on and on about the complexities. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, I heard last week, actually, that kind of sums up what I think kind of sums up what you just said then. You can kind of, in, in any, this was not adoption related, it, it was life related, right? Essentially, it, it, it was, you can come from peace, you can come from wholeness, or you can go to wholeness. So, as in, um, where you were coming from, not as a kind of, it sounded to me like it was your truth, not an affirmation. You hadn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't a mindset strategy. You hadn't thought, okay, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be okay, whatever happens. I'm going to have no expectations whatsoever. I'm going to try and make myself think that. You genuinely believed, I am whole. Um, I don't need, I don't need this reunion to happen to make me whole. Whereas right. somebody might be coming, doing, doing, this, doing, so, doing something in life, like a reunion search, thinking that that's going to make them whole. Yes, that's right. So and there's, there's from wholeness or towards wholeness. And yeah, that's a great, I love that. You're absolutely right. You can come from it. You can try to go towards it. I think it's, in my opinion, it is healthier to come from wholeness 
because you've started with a place from a place of strength. Right. And, and, and I say that to say you're not seeking that strength in another person, another situation, another, whatever you're starting from a place of strength and therefore whatever else comes, you're either able to cope with and deal with or sort of walk away from and still be that strong person who entered that situation in the first place. Yeah. Right. Um, it's the I, icing I, on the cake. It's the icing on the cake. Yeah. But you, you're quite happy with the cake without icing. And, and, but there's something I just want to, for the listeners, I just want to draw the, uh, draw, make a distinction here. Right. Because it, it's, it's helped me in some of the stuff in my life, this distinction, but it's, it's the difference between, coming from wholeness and strength as an idea, wouldn't it be nice if I could come from, wouldn't it be nice if I could come from strength? I like what Damon and Simon are saying. I, I want to come from strength. Um, it sounds like a good idea, right? So it's like a theoretical construct. It's a concept. That's not where you would, that's not what we're advocating. And that's not what you did. You came from a, uh, a, a an experience of wholeness, an experience of strength. You felt you were strong. You felt you'd had a good life. You'd had everything was great. And this, and that's where you're coming from. So there's a, I mean, how would you sum it up? So we're talking about strength as a uh, experience rather than, strength as a theory Mm -hmm. and i'll admit like this all sounds awesome but not everybody came from the strong background that i did and therefore like i could say this and make it sound incredible truth is i did not experience mental abuse sexual abuse you know um neglect the simplicity or and which I shouldn't say simplicity, the complexity of just simple not connect simply not connecting to a person, right? I didn't experience any of that. So it's easy for me to sit here and say, I came from strength, therefore I went into this and it was going to be, you know, I was willing to accept whatever happened. That foundation came from what my adoptive family laid down. Now, if they had laid down a, a cracked foundation, uh, with holes in it, then I would be a different person. And perhaps I would not have gone to that mailbox and dropped the letter with the same amount of confidence in myself that I did. And I recognize that people are coming from a variety of different lived experiences. Yeah. And we have to acknowledge every adoptee for what they've lived, what their personality is, what their coping mechanisms are, um, their feelings are valid, whatever they are, and and accept that and support them in that. That's I think that's incredibly important. So I, I um I feel that our, our our backgrounds are similar in in that respect that you've that that, that you've laid out and. Whenever I'm talking about that background and me and my story, the thought that always comes to mind 
is that this seems like it's got something to do with our backgrounds. But the most important mentor in my life for the last 12 years, she was actually abused. Now, she, she, wanted, she wasn't adopted, but she wanted to be adopted because she, want, because, um, she was abused. She was sexually abused and abused in all sorts of other ways by her dad. Mm-hmm. So we can talk about this being the background, um, but the, the thing for me is that she came through all that despite, you know, uh, despite. So despite what had happened to her, um, and you know, I'm reading a, I'm reading a, a book, listening to a book by a, a Holocaust survivor at the moment uh, called Edith Eager. And she came through that. She came through, you know, um, the, the, uh, the, the concentration camps, two concentration camps, work camps, like something like, a, I don't know, four or 500 mile force march between different concentration camps. Uh, uh, you know, um, almost being, uh, you know, like being treated, meeting Joseph Mengler. And so everything that she came through, that that background, um, she came through it. So it's like she came through it with, you know, obviously it's some um, emotion, serious emotional stuff, but she came through it. So underneath everything that we, underneath, uh, you know, whatever our background, there seems to me to be something with, you know, within us as humans, some kind of strong spirit that keeps mm-hmm. us going no matter what. Um, yeah, that's right. I'm going to, I want to read you something. I saw this on Instagram just the other day, and I commented on it because I loved it. And it's kind of hitting on what you're talking about. This person, her name is Laura Corbin. She's on Instagram, Laura Corbin, P-A-C. And she said at the end of this particular post, adoption outcomes can be good, wonderful. In fact, I am not a victim. I am not ashamed of my story. I choose to not place more importance in the past than what lies in front of me and ahead of me. I choose love and to be loved. I choose joy in the story God created for me. It's beautiful, and today is a great day. You can hear that she's been through some adversity, but that her approach is to look ahead and take from this moment forward and every moment forward strength not she's choosing not to focus on the past but build on herself toward the future i thought it was beautifully written and i saved it for that very reason i'm so glad that i had saved i literally saved it this morning i'm glad it came up today because this is what we're talking about finding your own inner strength to cope with what you've been through 
try to build yourself back up if needed, rely on the community to help you do so, and look forward toward the future. So, yeah. That's a beautiful, beautiful quote by uh, Laura. Um, and strangely enough, the book that I'm talking about, this Edith Eager book, um, uh, it's E-G-E-R is a, a, a surname. Uh, it, it's spelled E-G-E-R. I think it's pronounced Eager, but some pretty pronounce it Eager. However, it's called The Choice. Mm-hmm. And also, funnily enough, uh, the lady that I was talking about, who was um, my mentor, uh, Elizabeth Ivory, Liz, Liz Ivory. I, I do name check her quite a lot on the on the podcast. Her, her book is her book is called "It's Not Your Fault." Okay, uh, and the reason I'm telling you the name of the book is so if you want to check it, if people if listeners want to check it out, it's it's a great book. Uh, it's on uh, obviously on Amazon. Um, the subtext is the subtitle is. So title, it's not your fault. Subtitle, because you're not choosing. Mm. Yeah. And this to me was my, mm. uh, this to me is, was my entry into a more spiritual take on life, if you like. I don't know whether you could spiritual or not, a more consciousness-based approach rather than a material approach. So, and, and it's an incredibly, it's an it's so simple this concept that it gets it goes it goes way past everybody. But I don't think it'll go past you, my friend. So, if we are not choosing, well, most of us aren't choosing how we think, feel, act, and most importantly, see ourselves most of the time. So, you know, like I. Uh, so um, I, I was before we started recording. I I, I talked to you about a, a a meltdown I had with uh, about some building works uh, that I had yesterday. Right. So I wouldn't choose to have that anger. Right. So if I'm not choosing, if if, if I wouldn't choose that anger, it's not my fault. And for me, this came as a as a huge relief when I heard about it, let's say 10, 12 years ago, because I'd been beating myself up about beating myself up. Yeah. Yeah. I'd been beating myself up about not being positive. I'd been beating myself up about not being grateful. Mm-hmm. You know? And... Um, and and, th- and that that's what we're doing. So if you're not feeling strong, listeners, it's okay. I don't feel strong most of the time, but I, I and I sometimes beat myself up about not feeling strong. But if I'm not, if I'm feeling weak, if I'm feeling angry, I wouldn't choose to feel that. And if it's not, if I wouldn't choose to feel that, it's not my fault. So we kind of we're off the hook. We're off the hook for those uh, things that we don't like about ourselves. Mm. Yeah, when our default is to some of those things, I can see that. I think also, though, we have work to do to reprogram some of those pieces, right? 
you know, I think there are always opportunities to improve yourself and recognize that when I go into a certain kind of situation or when a certain kind of thing happens, I tend to react this way. Let me try to catch it before it happens. I think that's work that can be done, right? Yeah, for, for, for sure. Excuse me. And, and it can be done without the commentary. So I'm talking about what I need to learn here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it can, it, I, I, can, uh, I can do that. I can approach that. Yeah. From a, a, a place of uh, curiosity rather than blame. Right. Yeah. And I think um, to go back to one of your prior points, it's also really important to try to silence the internal critic that is beating you up from the inside, right? That's that's a okay. huge challenge is I've reacted this way and now you start beating yourself up. Why do I act this way? Oh my God, this is awful. Why do I do this? And now you've compounded it because not only have you acted that way, but now you're criticizing yourself for acting that way. You've got yeah, yeah. two major things happening. It's just awful. And and so it have you been reading my mind for the last 50 years? <laughs> yeah, man, it's really tough. And that's that's I think one of the things that a lot of us need to spend some time working on is both the catching yourself before the inappropriate reaction, whatever it is, or the reaction that you wish that you wouldn't default to, and catching yourself before you tear yourself down for that reaction. Yeah. Because uh, you can really end up digging your hole a lot deeper unintentionally. And, you know, this is, and this goes back to sort of doing the podcast, kind of like what you're doing. When you get to talk to other people about how they manage their emotions, their situations, feelings, approaches to things, you learn something about them and about yourself. And this is another way that the podcast is healing is you can start to hear someone else's approach to something that is very similar or drastically different to yours and be in a moment of self-examination to say, oh, I probably would have done that too. I'm glad I heard that because, you know, my reunion's coming up or I'm about to meet my so-and-so or whatever thing is happening. And you can sort of check yourself and go, let me, let me pause and do this a, a slightly different way. Or at least you can hear someone else say, I reacted in this situation in this, you know, not so hot way. And upon self-reflection, I've realized X, Y, and Z about myself. And hearing that person's thought process to get to what they've arrived at about themselves can be very helpful in your own introspection, right? If I've heard how you've thought through your reunion process, Simon, and I'm going through it or about to go through it or thinking about it and haven't even started – your approach could be informative to how I approach things. And that is also healing for folks. You know, you don't want to make the same mistake that somebody else made. So hearing the stories is valuable in that way as well. Yeah. There's real wisdom there. Um, I, I want to make a distinction between uh, trying to silence the inner critic and ignoring the inner critic. 
I agree. You, I think your inner critic is valuable, but it shouldn't be the one that is punching you in the face, right? It should be the mentor that pulls you inside and say, listen, man, you, you, you probably should have, you know, taken this a different route. But, you know, the inner critic that is, you know, slashing you on the back and beating you upside the head and trying to kick you while you're down, that's just, you know, so you don't want the, you don't want to ignore it because it could actually start to shout louder and um, and you don't want to pay too full attention to it because in many ways it can be wrong. So there's definitely a balance in the middle, I guess, is what I'm trying striving for. Yeah. I, I, you, you also said reprogramming. Um, and uh, uh, my, take, my take on this would be, um, well, a lot of people on the internet are selling courses on that whole that whole basis of reprogramming, right? And um, when I've tried it, it's been it's been ineffective for me. What has been very effective for me is deprogramming. So what I'm saying is, you're not trying to put more program programming on the top of stuff. It's it's realizing, well, it, 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 it's it's not trying to change the voice in our head. It's trying to realize that the voice in our head is a is um, is uh, is a liar, um, and uh, so that the voice in our heads becomes an opinion that we no longer value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Fascinating. Wow. So, one of the you know. And, and that's what that that's what this book I'm talking about, uh, Liz's book, Elizabeth Ivory, um, it's not your fault, uh, is is all about. It's about realizing that the story in our head is um, the, the voice in our head is a liar, and it tells and it tells lies. That's that because of because it is a liar, mm-hmm. and I think one of my So when was it? It'd be about uh, 2009. I spent a week just on this stuff, right? On that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we, sh- we shared our stories. These, these weren't adoptees. This was nothing to do with adoption. This was just um, different people that were struggling with different stuff in their head. They're struggling with the voice in their head. And we spent we spent a week on it, and and it came down to uh, the fact that none of the voices in our heads told us that we were any good. <laughs> none of them are your biggest fan; they're all your worst critic. Yeah, all our worst critic. <laughs> Not one person comes forth and says, "Well, my voice in my head is awesome because it's always telling me how dope I am." Yeah. <laughs> and, and and the thing for me on this was. Uh, Damon, that um, I, I kind of thought that um, the adoptees had the monopoly on this stuff. Oh man! And and this is just so untrue. So no you know, way. You, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's just so laughable, isn't it? Right? Yeah. But we've got a we've got a really good we've got a really good uh, reason to believe that we're not good enough, haven't we? We've got a real we've got we've got incontrovertible evidence. 
you know, we were given away, we were relinquished, we were abandoned, whatever, you know, we were, we, we, you know, whatever, whatever word that we use and, and the words can, can become really, really loaded. And, yeah. and I, and, and, and I'm, and I'm guessing if any adoptees are listening to this at the moment, they're thinking, um, yeah, um, they'll be arguing with me. <laughs> Mm. you know but we, we we've got this we've got this incontrovertible proof you know we we could we could go to bat we could go to a, we could convince any jury we were a, a lawyer we could we could convince we wanted to do we could convince any jury in the land that we're not good enough right yeah but that's a, that's something that i want to caution people from gripping too hard on because if you are an adoptee who has focused on your worthiness as a person based on the fact that you were placed for adoption. You're making assumptions about a situation that you were part of but didn't have any choice in. You have no idea what the context of it was, you know, and you're basing your worthiness on facts that you don't know. So if you're not in reunion and you haven't actually heard the story of why you were placed, this is the inner voice in your head being the worst critic. This is exactly what we just talked about. If you convince yourself that you're not worthy because you were placed for adoption, you're make, you're, the voice inside your head is telling you something that might not be true. And you might find your biological mother or father aunts, grandmothers, whomever, and say, and they might tell you, I really, really wanted you to stay, but we just couldn't do it for the following reasons, whatever the pressure was, the influence, the coercion, the whatever it was, was too great in that moment for us to feel like this was the best place for you. And we, we felt like somewhere else was a better place for you. And so this, again, the, the inner thoughts are incredibly toxic in this adoption reunion space. Just the way you said it right now, the idea that you could – I'm going to make the assumption that a person who's out there listening to us is an adoptee who's not in reunion and feels unworthy because they were placed for adoption. I'm going to caution you against that because you don't know the story. And, you know, I've said often on my own show that I've supported a woman named D. Yvonne Rivers, who's now the host of Birth Moms Real Talk, who is bringing out this is a podcast where birth mothers join her in a conversation about their own pregnancy, uh, placement for adoption, and, you know, attempts at reunion with their own adopt, adopted children who, who they placed. And, and I wanted to support her in creating that show because I wanted to hear that side. I wasn't there when my mother, Anne got pregnant, found out she was pregnant. I mean, you know, I wasn't there as a person who could whisper in her hair, ear and go, hey, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Or why don't you go this direction instead of that direction, right, in terms of placing me for adoption? I wasn't part of the process. So I was physically there, but I wasn't a, an advisor to her. Everybody else who was in her life as an adult was an advisor to her. And it was among them that they made the decision to place the baby that she had for adoption. But that's not an indication of my worthiness as a person. That's an indication of her choice 
in her situation at that time in her life. So I really, really, really want to caution adoptees from gripping on to this thing where I'm not worthy because as a baby, I was placed for adoption. You didn't have any choice in that. And therefore, it should not be part of your barometer for gauging your own worthiness to be in this life. You're here. Own it. Love it. Do everything that you can to make it the best, most positive experience that you possibly can. And try to find out to the best of your ability the facts of why you were relinquished for adoption so that you can attach your feelings about it to something more tangible. You know, get the story from more than one person. You know, if the birth mother says one thing and the birth father says something else, the truth is somewhere in the middle and you have to learn to live with that. But don't just attach your worthiness to what's inside your head because the truth is you made that story up and it's probably not true. The number of times, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, Simon, the number of times that I've spoken to an adoptee who has told me the story of what they thought their adoption was about. My birth mother was a superstar movie star and she couldn't have me and she was going to come get me one day. Uh, my birth mother was a teen mom who got pregnant in the backseat of a car. My, you know, I used to wonder if my birth mother was uh, on drugs and, and stuff like that. We all, all three of those scenarios and so many more totally made up because those same adoptees whom I'm speaking to on the show will then tell me. And when I met her, she told me I was in college and I, you know, I had an affair with the professor. I was, you know, on a train cross country and I met a military guy. My birth mother was in graduate school and she got pregnant by a, a man who was married that she didn't know was married. All of those three scenarios I just said were completely different from the ones that I said previously that were made up stories that came from our minds. And so I'm just trying to really drive home the fact that this internal critic, this internal storyteller is, is the loudest voice and strong and wrong, right? Most of the time that person is wrong, that inner voice. And I want people to find self-worth in how they feel about themselves, what their goals are, what their future looks like, what they're trying to achieve versus what transpired to even conceive them and have them placed for adoption because that's not fair to yourself. And you're, you, you can't win that battle of trying to place value and worthiness on yourself if you're judging it, <clears throat> pardon me, if you're judging that based on how you were conceived and placed for adoption, it's just, it just can't work. That was uh, incredibly uh, compelling, that, Damon. Compellingly uh, and beautif be beautifully put. Um, I I'm, I'm glad I asked the question. Or I'm glad I offered that out because you, uh, you really nailed that one, my friend. Um, we kind of alighted on the issue um, without an agenda, right, of, of this um, uh, worthiness. 
self-worth, self-esteem, self-worth. Um, to me, it's kind of the, the core issue for all human beings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just my opinion. Uh, would would you agree? Um, and would you agree with that? That self worth is a core issue for is is the core issue for 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 all human beings, or, or have you got a a, a a a different one? I mean, I'm... yes, I think I think it very much is because you know if you think about it, we're constantly evaluating ourselves against other people, right? Did I perform as well as my brother in sports when he was in high school? Did I, you know? earn more money than my parents who were, you know, both a doctor and a lawyer or whatever. Did I, was I smarter than my sister in college? You know, d- am I a better public speaker than you name the person? Did I perform better at my job than my colleague who sits in the next cubicle? There's constantly a comparative barometer that we are trying to manage inside of ourselves you know and it's it's like from the moment you wake up in the morning when you put some clothes on you're like is this how I want to look today and how how am I going to be judged like we feel you know judgment sometimes unnecessarily often from other people and a lot of that is that internal sort of self-worth evaluation that we've constantly find ourselves getting to. And it's interesting though, that I I think a lot of people when they reach, some people mature into it earlier, but a lot of people reach sort of a, you know, post thirties, middle adulthood where they realize I can't change anybody's opinion. All I can do is be me. And so we just stop caring about other people's feelings and you'll hear, hear people say it. I used to, and adoptees say it a lot, I used to be a people pleaser until I realized I can't please everybody. I saw a quote on Instagram the other day. The person was supporting another adoptee, and, and she said, uh, you realize you have to realize you can't, set, uh, you can't set yourself on fire to keep other people warm, right? That's something that just kind of clicks for adults at a certain age is I can't keep trying to make you happy. The only person I can love the most, the person who's going to love me the most, and the person whom I can please is me. And the rest of you have to just deal with it. And, and, and there's a point that I think people stop trying to please others and just say, yo, this is me. And, you know, love it or leave it. Like, I got, I got a gang of friends. I don't need others who are not interested in this person that I am. I'm trying to be the best person that I can be. And if it doesn't jive with, you know, who you want to hang around with, that's cool. Uh, you can go find some friends that, you know, comport with what it is that you're trying to accomplish with your friend group. But this is me and I really don't care, you know. And, and I think when people can get to that place of sort of, again, internal strength and, and health, you know, mental, mental health, I think that's incredibly powerful for you know, how the rest of your life can unfold, but some people struggle to get there. It's re- it can be tough for folks. Yeah. You've used the word realize quite a lot. Uh, and I, I love that. Um, and it seems like 
for me, you're talking about a realization here. So you, I, so for me, it, it, it's a it, it's a, a new idea, or it's a it's a felt experience, or it's it's it. Our mind changes rather than us trying to change our mind. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not a mindset strategy. All right, I need to. Uh, okay, um, I need to I need to stop caring about what other people think. You know, it's not like an affirmation. You know, you're, gonna, you're not going to write it down. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're not going to write it down above your shaving mirror. Uh, right. You know, to, to you're not trying to. You know, it's, it's not an affirmation. Yeah, it's right. a realization. Um, Am I I'm barking up the wrong tree, or does that does that sound right to you? No, I I think you're absolutely right. You could write it down on a you know notebook paper a hundred thousand times. That's not going to do anything. It's the lessons life teaches you that finally make you have the realization. Oh wait, the last time this person treated me this way, I felt terrible. The next time this other person treated me the same way, I felt terrible. I realize now that when that happens. It makes me feel terrible. I should not be around those kind of people, not put myself in that situation. Whatever the thing is, um, it's it's your lived experiences that will help you to reach these realizations that that we're talking about. And this, I think, is part of the struggle of adoptees often is um, our lived experiences can be really, really challenging, right? You've got disconnection from adoptive parents. You've got you know, sort of being transracially adopted and sort of not having the mirrors and therefore, you know, questioning your identity. I'm by no means suggesting that this stuff is easy. It's hard. But I do believe that folks reach a moment of going, I can't change this stuff, right? I, I can only be me. And and there's this moment of acceptance that I think a lot of people reach at different points in their lives with different things that are impacting them. It could be adoption. It could be professional. It could be marital. It could be your children. You know, it could be whatever. Um, there's there's a various realizations, I think, that happen when you just stop and examine, like, what your own sort of personal history has looked like. And you go, wow, I, I can see now as I look back at this who I am in those situations and that's, I think, when the realization cements itself in people's minds. Yeah. The identity thing for me is incredible. Um, and it's, it, it's an incredibly layered concept. It has a number of, of, of layers. Um, and we can disappear down. It, it's a, a rabbit hole. Um, I, I heard a, a, an English um, sports star talking about who am I, right? Who am I? Uh, and he said uh, the first thing that came into his head was the voice in his head. Mm-hmm. So he, he identified with the voice in his head. Mm-hmm. That was the first idea. And he said, and then I went for... Um, so he, he he was joking, kind of joking to get to this metaphor. But he said, "Right, so I went, I went, I went for a meeting with the guy, um, and, and nobody turned up. 
And, and all I found was, uh, all, all I found was a, a whole layer of old ideas and um, thoughts and beliefs and feelings uh, about my, you know, about myself. That's all that was there. Uh, and there wasn't anything else. I, I, I he said I, I, I definitely didn't find any limitations to my potential. I, I found no barriers. I found no barriers to what I wanted to achieve in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I found no limits to my potential. I found absolutely nothing. Nothing there. Interesting. Uh, I, love, I love that comment that I went to meet with the guy and nobody showed up. Nobody showed up, yeah. Because it's you, bro. Yeah. Um, Fascinating. This, this identity thing, uh, I've uh, listening to some guys, at um, one particular guy at the moment who teaches the stuff that the sports star learns, right? Don't this rugby player that's talking, Johnny Wilkinson. And, and if people are interested in that, I'll, I'll put a link to that to that podcast uh, with Johnny Wilkinson. He he talks about so he 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 won he won the world cup for the for for the in, in rugby yeah for england in 2003 okay uh, and uh, he talks about the elation lasting uh, 3 seconds uh, and uh, and then being followed by a complete and utter meltdown in his in his, his life you know we've got these and, and what it, 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 the reason it kind of comes to me is that um, it, is that you know if people are pinning their hopes, we've talked about you know pinning hopes on reunion earlier on, and thinking that it will make us whole. Now Johnny Wilkinson really thought that winning the World Cup, which he'd been dreaming about for seventeen years, was going to make him feel whole, and it didn't. So. Um, because he was he wasn't coming from wholeness. He was looking for wholeness. That's what we're talking about now. He wasn't coming from strength. He was looking for strength. I when I, you know, when and um, um, this is what we do as as society, isn't it? You know, when I do this, when I get this, whatever this is, um, fill in the blank for you, uh, listener. Then then I'll be then then I'll be happy. And it's That's uh, right. Yeah. You know, in the sports metaphor, the challenge is you win the championship and like, great, you won one, you're awesome. But the question is, you know, the greats, they win multiple. Can you win two? Can you do two in a row? Right. And so the bar always moves. One of the things, so for me, one of my goals is, you know, some success in real estate investing. And I'm going to approach, you know, a million dollars in, uh, in owned assets, right? And that's a wonderful goal. But once you hit that, I'm going to sh- sh- think to myself, shoot, now I want to reach 5 million. And when you hit five, you're going to want 20. 
You know what I mean? So the bar will always be moving. And, and that's part of the challenge of placing your hope on reaching something. Because once you get it, it might not be the fulfillment that you want and the bar will move, right? In reunion, if I find my birth mother, that's one thing. If, if I, and I want her to make me whole by accepting me and she rejects me, the bar has moved, right? Or if I want her to accept me and we have this wonderful relationship where we come together and we bond, but she's not in a position to do that for a variety of reasons, hasn't told her other kids about me, hasn't told her husband about me, whatever the other things are, the bar has moved. I wanted this outcome and now I'm not going to get it because now that I've reached this connection to her, there's a new bar, right? And it has moved. There are challenges in the way. And so I think it's, it's incredibly important to try to prepare yourself with openness. I, and I chose my words carefully because I didn't want to say prepare yourself for any situation because the number of situations are infinite, impossible to prepare yourself for. You could sit down for three days and write out every single situation that could possibly happen for you in reunion and still not get it right when it happens. So I chose my words carefully, prepare yourself with openness for whatever could happen uh, because it's impossible to predict, right? You, you meet your biological father and he's this wonderful person, but he's got children that don't know about you and you want to know your siblings and he keeps you all separate, right? That is yet another place where the bar moves. Like it's just incredibly challenging to try to prepare yourself for every situation. So preparing yourself with openness is, is incredibly important. And I think similarly to, as I said at the beginning, it's challenging to sort of prepare yourself and, and be too focused on what you hope the outcomes will be because they could be different. I guess what I'm trying to get to is you, while you want to reunite with folks, you also have to be prepared to not reunite with folks that you could get secondarily rejected, that you could start off in a reunion and be in a great place. And then things turn sour for something that was said, a look that was given at an event, a comment on social media and things go bad. And you realize, Oh, this person was just looking for a way out from this relationship. Um, and, and you have to be, I think in, prepared to protect yourself as well. You asked for this reunion, it did or didn't go well, and you have to be prepared to accept that outcome and protect yourself and potentially walk away. Um, and that can be in incredibly difficult. I mean, just super, super difficult. So um, that's yeah. about all I got on that, man. Yeah. I, I want to, before I ask you to, 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 to sum up or any last fast thoughts, uh, last fast thoughts. I want, I'd like to just say that, just say one thing, share one thing with the listeners mm -hmm. is that um, our worth is, our self-worth is without 
condition. We are priceless beyond all value, no matter what. No, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what, anything. And um, we all are. It's, it's not that I'm any different to, to you, listener, or I'm any different to you, Darren. We're, we're all, we're all, we're all priceless. I agree. I agree 100%. There's only one Damon Davis that is living this life at this moment in time with these family and friends. And, you know, I got to be the best person I can be to make this life something wonderful. And you, Simon, have a similar trajectory, right? There's only one Simon Ben who's doing the things that you're doing, who's living at this point in time, you know, and who has the the friends and sphere of influence that you do. We're all unique. And that, and you're right, makes us all priceless we are not a commodity where you can you can't just go out and get another simon ben and damon davis and be like screw those other two i need to find two new ones you can't do that every single one of us is incredibly unique different special and priceless as you've said and it's up to us to live out our lives in a way that fulfills that uniqueness and and i hope that the listeners are able to do that and and i hope that they will turn to you and turn to me and turn to the community of adoptees to get support in doing so because you know no you can't do it alone you know they say where there's an african proverb if you if you want to go fast go alone and if you want to go far go together and that's part of what the adoptee community is supporting one another and doing is going further together we're advocating with each other we're supporting each other through moments of challenge we're celebrating one another through you know, moments of surreality and, and special circumstances and things like that. Um, and I think that's, that's part of why I enjoy the work that you and I do, Simon, is because we get to be a small piece of this adoptee community that is uplifting each other, supporting one another. And it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Fantastic. So listeners, if you haven't already checked out Damon's podcast, it'll be in the show notes. So Check it out. And how many episodes did you say yeah? I'm completing number 166 this week. It's going to come out on Saturday. I will have, I believe, one more show before I take a holiday break. And then I'll be back in the springs to start season 10. Wow. Of the Who Am I Really podcast. Thanks, Damon. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure too, man. Thanks so much for the invite. And I appreciate you allowing me a moment to sort of chat with your listeners. So take care, Simon. Great to see you again, buddy. All the best. All right. Cheers, Simon.